Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. This is love. I think that video encapsulates what we want to talk about today as, as we start just kind of a two-week series called This is Love and uh, kind of be launching out of the book of 1 John. So if you've got your scriptures with you, you can turn them on or open them up uh, to 1 John. We'll be heading there here in a second. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, Ben Morgan, who led us in worship this morning. He's one of our graduates from 2013 and uh, lives in St. Louis, but uh, has come back and, and is helping us out through the summer and had the chance to be with us. So we invited him to lead worship this week, and he'll be with us again uh, next week. And so we appreciate his ministry. It's great to see uh, students come back and, and uh, be used in ministry, let God use their gifts and talents uh, to glorify him. So, Ben, we appreciate you. We're thankful for you. How many of you enjoyed Church in the Park? Were able to be with us last week. It was pretty great. I enjoyed it. I, I kind of heard a rumor that people were saying they wished it was longer. Uh, so uh, what I did was I, I figured we, we probably could have gone about 10 or 15 minutes longer last week. So I went ahead and added it to this week, kind of make up, make up for it. Uh, what you don't know is uh, m- most of us, the team had been there from about 8 or 8.30 in that heat, and uh, I don't know if you know, I'm f- I have a fair complexion, sensitive to the sun, so I- I'd had enough at that point. So, now we- I really enjoyed being at the park with you. I have uh, determined that the next time we do it, we will do it in December, <laughs> and just thought for like a little change of pace, maybe you could bring out your sleds and stuff. Uh, but we look forward to, to doing that again. Uh, I thought it was such a great time to, to be with you out in the community. This morning we're launching into uh, the series, This is Love, in, out of 1 John. Now, the, the writer of John is actually the, the Apostle John, uh, who also wrote the Gospel of John. And, and he wrote the three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Really original names, kind of confusing, I understand. Uh, so this is the Apostle John, who, who walked with Jesus. This particular book, in fact, the epistles, the three epistles of John, were written to believers, and this one was written to reassure them of their faith. The church at this point was in its infancy, just, just a, a few decades old at this point, and this, again, was to reassure them of their faith and to counter any false teachings. Uh, as the church began to grow, many false teachers had kind of risen up and uh, we're twisting some of the truths or, or teaching things contrary to what the original apostles had heard from Jesus himself and had been entrusted. And so John was coming against that. Now, this was written in a period of 85 to 90 AD. So, again, not a long period of time had transpired uh, in, in, in this regard uh, when John wrote the letter to when he had first uh, walked with Christ. And that's important to know because as we look at Scripture we, we under, and learn to trust the Scriptures, one of the things is we can learn to trust Scripture because the fact that many of these things were written in the immediacy of Jesus' walking upon the earth. They weren't written centuries later. They weren't written by somebody who had heard from a guy who had a dog, who had the a dog's walker, who, you know, it wasn't this long chain of people or circumstances in which it was written. It was written by direct observers. And John, of course, being a direct observer of Jesus, is writing this. And so there was no chance for legend or myth to develop. John is writing in this regard simply from his heart 
and about his experiences with Jesus. In fact, if you read the first few uh, paragraphs into 1 John chapter 1, he says things like, this is what I've, I've heard from my, uh, I heard myself, I, I, I experienced myself, I touched, I, I saw, I observed. He's speaking of his own uh, witness, his own testimony and the validity of it and his ability then to write these things in a corrective nature or an encouraging nature because he himself had heard these things and observed them. And you'll find throughout the, the book of 1 John, you'll find a, uh, a number of themes, three in fact. The first is that God is light and truth. And so that's kind of the first part of 1 John. And then he moves into God is love. And then he kind of closes with God is life. And so these are kind of the three themes that dominate the landscape of 1 John. And you'll find as you read 1 John, I encourage you to read the, the Gospel of John as well because you'll see that it indeed is the same writer and he says and encapsulates certain thoughts in a very unique way uh, to him, and you'll see it appear in, in both his epistles and, and the gospel that he writes. Again, John walked with Jesus, and the apostle John was the one to whom Scripture refers to as the one Jesus loved. So we fi- I find it fitting that he dives into the middle of First John, he dives into the topic of love. And he has a unique perspective, I think, I believe as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it, it gives us a great idea of what love is. Love has been called the first and the last word in Christian theology and ethics. It's really what makes our belief system, if you want to call it that, unique. It's not justice, it's love, even though justice is part of that. It's not finding your higher self or your inner child or your chakra or your aura or any of these things. It's love demonstrated and lived out in life. I like what Walter Elwell says. You can read it up on the screen, but he writes it this way. In the Old Testament, this unshakable, steadfast love of God is contrasted with the unpredictable, capricious moods of the heathen deities. Hesed, which is the, one of the Hebrew words for love, Hesed is not an emotional response to beauty, merit, or kindness, but a moral attitude dedicated to another's good, whether or not that other is lovable, worthy, or responsive. This enduring loyalty rooted in an unswerving purpose of good could be stern, determined to discipline a wayward people, as several prophets warned. But God's love does not change. Through exile and failure, it persisted with infinite patience, neither condoning evil nor abandoning the evildoers. It has within it kindness, tenderness, and compassion. Elwell goes on to write about the New Testament. He says, Jesus then embodied the concept concept of hesed in the all-caring, all-inclusive fatherhood of God, shown toward just and unjust, far exceeding the divine concern for ephemeral, ephemeral, whatever that word is, grass, falling sparrow, or untoiling lilies of the field. God's sons are freed by their confidence in the Father's love from fretful care about material provision and personal safety to seek first God's will and kingdom. This is the Father's world. It's the the Father knows, the Father loves. 
For the children of a loving father, life is no struggle for existence, but a serenity born of trust in a basically friendly universe. In a sinful and suffering world, divine love will show itself supremely in compassion and healing for the distressed and in redemptive concern for the alienated and the self-despairing. It is from this understanding that John writes to believers, and he addresses our understanding, our response and our responsibility regarding love. And he compares it to the person of Jesus Christ. So in 1 John chapter 4, we'll start in verse 7 and go through verse 10 today. He writes this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Other translations say beloved. Instead of dear friends, it uses this word beloved or beloved of God. Uh, it's a similar word used to describe the relationship of God the Father to God the Son, Jesus, as his beloved. And so John, the writer, says and calls the believers the beloved. Beloved, let us love one another. Perhaps in your head right now, some of you who grew up in church are singing that song. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not Knows not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. Wow, good job. That's pretty good. If you don't know that one, get the podcast and you can sing along. It's a good song, good song to commit to memory. Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Where does love come from? God. What is its genesis? Is it from our own ability to well up positive feelings towards someone else? Is it, is it just sort of an innate goodness that everybody has? And so if, I, if I'm just good and you're good and we just kind of live together in harmony, that's love? Not really. Is it a, a positive response to uh, outside stimulus? Is it a positive regard like tolerance? Or I'm just kind of indifferent to anything, and we call that love. If I ignore it, will it go away? Is it an attraction, a longing, like for pizza or a frosty? <laughs> I hear you, Rick. I understand. Is it this longing for pleasure or companionship? Is it something that is synonymous with desire? Is it a mystical force? The writer of John brings us back to the beginning. Love comes from God. And then he reinforces it both in a positive and a negative way. He says, love comes from God. Those who love know God and have experienced God because they love God. Those who don't love have not experienced God. Now, the word he continues to use is this this Agape love, or in the Hebrew, hesed. It's beyond 
erotic love or romantic love. It's something greater than that. Love comes from God, he says, and those who love, they know God. They've experienced Him because they love God. And if they don't love, they are not of God. And he says, because God is love. The phrasing there is very clear. God is not like love, and love is not God, but God is love. It is the very essence of who He is. Everything He does in relationship to humans is loving. It's the basis of His character. He is holy, He is just, and He is loving. All three of those Things happen all at once in conjunction with the other. He can't be holy and not just. He can't be just and not holy. And all this time, it's out of love. C.S. Lewis writes that it is this divine energy, he calls it, was the real beginning of creation. This was the big bang, was that God loved. And out of his character, Into existence comes human beings. You understand that God had no need to create us. He had no longing as as maybe a mother and a father or potential parents would long to give birth to their own child. He had no such deficiency or longing. He had no need to create us, no hunger for something that would love him back. Neither does he reside over us as a manager or or a schoolmaster or one who would demand something from us. But he loved us into existence. We are creatures of love to be loved that he may love us and perfect us in his love. He also created us in a way that we would need him. Born in love, we would not only long for love, but to have something on which we could love. C.S. Lewis actually calls God, in this sense, the host, and we, his creation, parasites. Right? I mean, it's just kind of, all right, just go with it. God is the host and, and we, his parasites. He deliberately creates us so that we might take advantage of him and him alone. Have you ever removed a tick from maybe your dog? That tick is a parasite and needs a host in order to survive and live. You like that? It's, yeah. I know you're like, oh, okay, right. It's odd, but it draws us into that sense that we survive and we long for and need God. God created us with that sort of longing that nothing in this world can satisfy. Parents, you understand this type of relationship. Please don't call your children parasites. But you understand... Ideally, children are, are created and then birthed from love, into love. But they are needy, let's just face it, right? 
You've got to feed them and change them and do all sorts of things. They can't do anything for themselves until they're like 22, you know. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It is true. And we, parents, out of love, provide. You start to understand the sense of which God, having no need for us, creates us for His glory, for our good. We are created out of His glory. And it's that kind of glory that will be, be revealed in us in that last day, as Scripture says. He invented love. All other loves find their perfection in Him. There are all sorts of other loves. We named several of them already. But not this kind of divine love. See, without the divine love, every other love is traitorous. It's selfish. And yet, when we step into divine love, those love either find their perfection or they fade away. This is why the divine love is so much greater. Perhaps you'll go on social media and and like us on Facebook, C2 Church, uh, Christian Chapel on Facebook. But maybe you'll put something out like this and start conversation. I can love because I was loved first. I can live in love because of Jesus. This is what the writer of John is saying. I can love because I was loved first. I can live in love because of Jesus. These are two truths that the Apostle John is going to reveal to us in this chapter. He goes on to say in verse 9 of chapter 4 of 1 John, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Listen to what he's saying there. This is how God showed his love. Perhaps like me, you've heard the words, I love you, often. People are constantly saying it to me. I mean, I can hardly. (laughs) But you've heard the words, I love you. And they're great. They make you feel good. But in any relationship, at some point you say, okay, show me. Demonstrate it to me. At what, at what depth do you love me? And God's answer to that question is, well, I showed you through the person of Jesus. I sent my son. I demonstrated. I put into action not this feeling but this choice to live in a covenant relationship with you. God is loved because he demonstrated it to us. It was shown through the sending of of his son, Jesus. Interesting, if you know the gospel of John, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, or some versions say his only begotten son. This verse right here, four, uh, chapter 4, verse 9, is the same wording. He sent his one and only son. John is repeating things throughout not only his gospel, but you'll see in, in his epistle here. He repeats things, not because he's an old man and is forgetting that he already told you. Um, you know, you've been, you've been with those people, probably me. I, you know, stop me if I've told you this story before, but 
and you repeat yourself. Um, it's, that's not the case. John is repeating for the point of emphasis. He's trying to make sure that the church understands this divine love. And so he chooses these words carefully, the one and only Son of God, because he wants you to understand the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. His one and only Son is the very same makeup, if you will. So Jesus is unique in his makeup, in the way he is. He's begotten of the Father. That word begotten is sort of uh, taken directly from. Jesus has this very same DNA as the Father. He is similar in makeup. He's a direct reflection of the character of God himself. Jesus is then unique in his relationship to God the Father. As father to son, he has full rights, is fully accepted, fully knows, and is fully known. If you read through John's gospel, you'll see that Jesus says things like this. I and the Father are one. What? This is the idea he's trying to encapsulate is this idea of begotten. He comes directly from the Father. And you'll see this throughout the Gospels as Jesus says, I and the Father are one. If you see me, you see him. This is the idea of being begotten. So he's unique in his makeup, in his relationship, and he's unique in his role. Jesus' role was to do the perfect will of the Father. Michael W. Smith wrote a a song several years ago. I think it was him who wrote it. It it says, above all, uh, Jesus thought of me and and died for me and loved me. Well, it's a nice song. I I sort of agree with it. But above all, Jesus loved the Father and was here to do the will of the Father. His love for us simply was because the Father loved us and he loved us. Was, his character was to love us. But above all, he was loving the Father and demonstrating the Father's will. That was his unique role as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, as we'll study here in a second. And in this, his role is unique because he's the only way back to the Father from a broken relationship that all humanity has. Romans 5.8 says it this way, God demonstrated his great love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a pretty powerful statement. In fact, in one translation, it it translates uh, while we were still sinners to say while we were still the enemies of God. That's a little bit different. While we were still the enemies of God, Christ came and died for us, the ungodly, the separated ones. That's important to know because that demonstrates the perfect love, the divine love that God has for us. This is why when Jesus commands us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, he has every right to ask that of us because he himself demonstrated that very love. Dying for humanity, for those who may never choose him, he would die. He demonstrated on the cross by extending forgiveness to the very ones who were crucifying him. This kind of love is different than any other love. It really is. You can answer that. It's God. <laughs> we, won't, we won't make you 
take that call. This kind of love is different. C.S. Lewis translated, maybe in its most purest form, he translates the word agape into charity. Charity. Think about charity. I, I mean, we like charity. Charity makes us feel good. Right, Because when we, we see a need, maybe we see someone who is, is homeless on the street and we want to give them a, a couple dollars, that's charitable. We're not obligated. Maybe because we feel sympathy, we want to act, we want to do something good. Really, really, our charity has more to do with us than maybe with the person receiving it. But in its most perfect, that would be the most basic form, but in its most perfect form, charity is the love of God. It's gift love. It's gift love. Love that doesn't expect anything back. It's perfect in every way. This is love. He goes on to write in verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. Think about that. Not that we attempted to love him first, but that he initiated love because of his character and his holiness. He initiated the rescue mission to us. That is quite astounding. Charles Talbert, in his book, Reading John, writes it this way. The nature of God's love is seen in the sending of his son and his son's death as atonement for our sins. That is, God's love is one that takes the initiative in seeking a relation with us, even at great cost to himself. That relation is secured only when a price has been paid by the offended one, God. That's called propitiation. And a change has been effected in the offending one. That's called expiation. That is when an atoning sacrifice has been offered. God was owed a debt. That's what it means. When when we hear that Jesus paid the price for our sins, have you ever heard that phrase, Jesus paid the price for our sins? Many people mistakenly think that payment is going to Satan, as if... Because we hear this word ransom sometimes used in, in relationship to God's sal- salvation, uh, I was going to say salvific, but that sounds really wordy. But that's the word. In his act of salvation, there was a ransom paid. Many people think that it was like a kidnapper, like Satan was owed that money. But the payment wasn't to Satan. Satan isn't owed anything. The payment was to God himself. The price for our sins was owed to God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, it's gift love. God extends the credit himself at great cost through his son Jesus on our behalf to pay the price, the penalty for our sin, our rebellion, our insistence to go our own way and have it our way and we don't need you. That cost was paid by Jesus. It cost God the Father something. And that's important to know. That is love. This is the Christian faith. Despite all other definitions or redefinitions of love, 
This is love. This is what scripture from the front to the back is all about. Stories of imperfect people with a patiently perfect God. Loving. Read, read through the Old Testament again and read of God's patience with men and women who just didn't get it right. Mostly men who didn't get it right. Gives you a different perspective of the saving work of Christ in the New Testament. I'd love for you to meditate on that this week. The band's going to come in, in just a second. We're going to watch a short video that I'd love for you to reflect on. Perhaps in this moment and tonight, before you lay your head down to the pillow, and tomorrow morning when you wake up, maybe your prayer will be, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. It's the Holy Spirit of God who allows us to love in ways that we can't on our own. I'll say it this way for for me, in ways I won't love on my own. As you begin to reflect on the scripture, would you maybe read through the whole book of 1 John? Probably take you about five minutes. It's not real long. Maybe go back to the gospel of John and read of Jesus' life. I trust that the Holy Spirit, as you read, will enlighten your heart and your mind to understand what true love is. Divine love, that which you and I, who claim to be Christ followers, should exhibit and reflect in our daily walk in this world. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com.